What's happening, everybody, as we uh, roll through this timeless void between Christmas and New Year's? We have no idea what time it is or what day it is. Just days full of junk food and afternoon hockey and all kinds of things going on. Endless time with family that, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe in certain cases you're ready to see. And uh, it's Matt Robinson here with you, not in the Tall Can Audio Studios uh, still down at the family cottage, killing a little time here between, uh, like we said, between Christmas and New Year's. I uh, hope you've all had a wonderful holiday season thus far. Uh, just thought we'd check in here and, I don't know, update a couple of little things, talk about a couple things. This will just be a quick one as we move through the holiday season. There's a couple of stories that have broken that I didn't really want to see get buried, right? That were either just before Christmas or during the holiday season here, and by the time you know, we get through New Year's and uh, and back in studio. You know, they kind of be the distant past and, and maybe not worth revisiting. So thought we would do that here. But of course, we will start with a pint. This one is new to me. This is a new brewery, new beer. Everything about it is new uh, and comes actually from Birmingham, Michigan. Uh, had some family down there know, a month or so before Christmas who thought to, to pick me up a couple things from some breweries I hadn't tried before. So we'll do that here over the next couple shows and and uh, and try some of those. This one is from the Griffin Claw Brewing Company. Like I said, that is in Birmingham, Michigan. And uh, it's called Three Scrooges. Just in case you, uh, you are one of those people, maybe just a tad sick of the holidays or a tad sick of the family, whatever you might have going on. Three Scrooges. It's a winter warmer, 5%. Uh, they're saying it's going to be a little spice to it, maybe a little orange to it, a little clove to it. Uh, we'll see what that's all about as we get into this one. Mm, yeah, definitely a little spice to that, a little clove to that. I'm not getting a ton of the orange from it, but um, I don't really know what else I would call it other than, like I said, maybe maybe it is that clove that is the strongest part of this one, but uh, not bad. Uh, like I said, the Griffin Claw Brewing Company, don't know much about them. So we'll work on that pint here as we, uh, we move through today's show. And like I said, this will just be a short one, a couple things worth mentioning, you know, before they end up too far back down the road, uh, on, I can't remember now if it was the 23rd or 24th, the Blue Jays went out, got themselves an outfielder, which they badly needed, got themselves a left-handed power bat that they badly needed, uh, a guy named Dalton Varsho gets traded from the Arizona Diamondbacks, who was a team I mentioned, I can't remember if it was on the show or just on Twitter, that uh, maybe the Blue Jays would be talking to quite a bit as it was a team that could use some help with the catcher, which the Jays had in abundance, and had a couple of young left-handed outfielders. Uh, going back to Arizona, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Gabriel Moreno. So let's start with uh, Moreno leaving the Jays. The three catcher thing was something we've talked about for a while and, and Rob and I have discussed, people have talked about it all over the place, um, just in terms of what you had with your three catchers. Because it does turn out to be, as I suggested it might be, the mystery box that leaves Toronto and, and that other teams find appealing, right? The guy that you actually, you think is going to be really good, but you have the least evidence that backs that theory up. That was Gabriel Moreno. A guy like Danny Jansen is a guy that had probably more value to you than he did to any other team. He's a very good defensive catcher, very good framer. He's comfortable with your pitching staff. All your guys are comfortable throwing to him. And that 
those last couple of points aren't going to be true for any other team that he might go to. Uh, they know he's a good defensive catcher and he would learn their staff, but he hasn't done that yet. So he doesn't have that value for those teams. Um, and he's had some injuries over the last little bit. Uh, a guy like Alejandro Kirk, you might be buying high on right now. And if the Jays are selling, you know, that's a plus for them too. Maybe you're selling high. He just had a fantastic year at the plate. He was an all-star. But there are questions about his ability to catch 100 games a year. Uh, just with his body type and, and things like that, we'll, we'll see. But I don't think anybody sold that he absolutely can do that. And he's also kind of taking up a DH spot that you might want to be cycling guys like Springer and Vladdy and, you know... it's not a big deal if it's a couple times a week, but if it turns out this guy can't catch regularly, that's a problem as well. And then you have Gabriel Moreno, who everyone thinks is going to be great. He's one of the top prospects in baseball, but we don't know yet that he's going to be great. We think he is, we're pretty sure he is, but we haven't seen it yet. And so for the Blue Jays, that's a scary thing to trade away. But for another team, it's that old family guy thing. It You know, do you want the boat or do you want the mystery box? Oh man, the mystery box could be anything. It could even be a boat. And you you, you end up taking this box thinking, yeah, we'll see. If he's an all-star, the Diamondbacks look great here. And the Jays, uh, there will be fans that, that want the team to eat crow a little bit on the fact that you traded this guy away. But he's not that yet. And he may never be, so we'll see. And the Jays are trying to win right now. They went out and got a piece that can help them win right now, and they traded away a piece that is more likely to help them in a year or two or three years. And and like I said, we'll see how much, right? We'll see how good he turns out to be, but it's not going to be today, whatever that ceiling is. So in that respect, I kind of like the trade. Let's talk about Dalton Varsho, who they're bringing in from Arizona. Like I said, left-handed, power bat, can play the outfield. Under team control for four more years, he's 26 years old, so that's very appealing as well. You're not going to be you know, trying to figure out what his contract status is and, and worried about him leaving in a year, whatever that might look like. Incredible defensive numbers, like top, top, top tier outfield defender. Um, the Jays went from having one of the worst defensive outfields in baseball with Teo and uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., um, and I guess I should mention Gurriel. We'll come back to him in a second. Uh, and sometimes Springer, but sometimes a guy like Tapia or whatever in center field to now having one of the best defensive outfields in baseball. You're going to move Springer over to right field. Kevin Kiermeyer is going to play center when he's healthy. Dalton Varsho will play left field for the most part. It looks like that's a little interesting. That might be political. I think a lot of people would prefer maybe to see Dalton Varsho in center field, but you did just sign Kevin Kiermeyer and apparently... Smart or not, you did tell him that the center field job is his to lose. So, um, you know, Varsho, I guess, will play left field. And then we'll see, uh, you know, if Kiermaier is not healthy or, or whatever, we could still see Springer or Varsho over in, uh, in center field. The left-handed bat is interesting. His first year there uh, in 2021... His splits were a little less noticeable, right? His his numbers versus left and right-handed pitching. Um, and in 2022, his left-handed numbers were much, much worse uh, against left-handed pitching. So we'll see. Um, he's obviously there to, you know, balance out a very right-handed heavy lineup. 
Um, and now he, he is kind of that middle of the order, left-handed power bat. Uh, and so maybe you just look for somebody else to take a lot of those at bats against lefties. Uh, we'll see how that's going to play out. I do still think they'll go find a fourth outfielder, probably now a right-handed power bat that doesn't have to play every day. He's more of a fourth outfield type. I think that might be something they still try to get done uh, off the discount pile. We'll see. But this is, you know, on the face of it, a very good trade for the Blue Jays. And it, it hurts. When you make big trades, you're going to lose something. And to give up on Gabriel Moreno is tough. But this is what this team needs right now. And I think it's a really smart bet for the Blue Jays. I did mention Lourdes Gurriel Jr. He's going with Gabriel Moreno to Arizona. Uh, I don't know. I liked him. He, he lost a pile of power um, in 2022 and became more of a slap hitter, which was interesting. There's some thought that that might be, you know, some lingering after effects from the wrist surgery that he had. And possibly in 2023, he gets some of that power back. That's on the table. Um but he's not a good defensive outfielder either. Um, and the Jays have sort of said that one of the things they're looking to do this year is not just score more, but give up less, right? A run prevented is worth every bit as much as a run scored. And so you look at going from, like I said, that that Springer, Guriel, Hernandez outfield to now an outfield of Kiermaier, Varsho, and Springer, it's... It's a much better defensive outfield. And all of Berrios, Manoa, and Gosman were in like the top 25. A lot of these numbers, I should say, uh, come from Stoughton, who uh, who put a great piece out on that. We will link to it in the show notes, and I'm going to try and get him on the show early in the new year. But he pointed out that all of Gosman, Berrios, and Manoa were in like the top 25 of balls hit to the outfield. So you want better defense out there. Your pitchers give up fly balls. You want somebody out there running them down. It makes good sense. The other thing before we move off of this, maybe to mention about uh, the offseason that the Blue Jays have had so far, is Varsho is a tremendous base runner. And it's interesting because he's not anywhere near like the top of the league in sprint speed, but his reaction times are great. His jumps are great. His reads off pitchers are great. And he's, you know, a, a very uh, above average base runner. And when you look around what the Blue Jays have done so far this offseason, in terms of the base pass, Hernandez was a negative value player on the base pass. He wasn't good. Lourdes Gurriel was a negative value player on the base pass. He wasn't good. You have replaced them with Kevin Kiermeyer and Dalton Varsho, and both of those guys are well above average base runners. So those stupid mistakes that are so frustrating, guys getting thrown out, guys making bad jumps, bad reads on the base paths, you, in theory, should see way less of that. And so, again, those are outs that you're not just giving away. So your performance on the base paths should, in theory, be much better, along with your outfield defense. All of that is incredibly important when you just can't make those little mistakes and when one or two extra plays could get you one or two extra wins in September that make you go from a 90 to 91 win team to maybe a 93, 94 win team. Maybe gets you home field. Maybe gets you out of the wild card series and gets you a division win instead. Uh, all of this stuff is going to be incredibly important. So all around, a nice piece of business. It doesn't come without risk. That was always the, the thing. Which of the catchers were you going to trade? They do trade the youngest one, but the one that perhaps had the most ceiling. There's risk for Arizona as well. 
but that's what makes it an interesting trade. And I think as far as the Blue Jays go, the timing was right to do something like this. You trade some future for some right now, and that's what they've done. Man, the uh, the spice in this is interesting. It's It stays with you a little bit. As it warms a little, I'm getting a little more of the orange from it, but uh, it's a nice pint. As we sit here right now, and most of you won't hear this until Canada's already played another game here at the uh, at the World Juniors. Canada is 0-1, uh, lost to the Czechs on Monday night, and didn't look good doing it. And um, quite frankly, as I tweeted out, ignore all the noise. The Czechs were full value here and deserved to win. But the noise came anyway. Uh, there were two attempts in the first period to hit the Michigan goal, right? The, you pick it up like lacrosse style and try and throw it in. Both of them failed, and uh, and Canada lost the game. And the number of people who are trying to make that a thing, that, all oh, they're trying the Michigan, so they must be too full of themselves, they must be showing off, I think you're going to have to get your head out of your ass a little bit here and understand that as the game continues to see more and more of these young players make their way through, we'll call them the YouTube generation. These kids who grew up watching guys like Pavel Barber on YouTube perform these trick shots. And and it's, it's a thing in junior hockey. They like to have fun. They like to try crazy things. And people loved it last year when Trevor Zegras and Sonny Milano hit that crazy goal for the Ducks. But when you lose, it's also something that people are going to jump on you for. And that's what we're seeing right now. And it's it's embarrassing that this is a talking point. So let's assume for a second that it was the fact that it was this Michigan thing. They were too full of themselves. The second one of those happened with 44 minutes left in the game. Canada was outscored over those minutes 5-1. to one. So if they had decided, hey, we better stop doing this, we're really focused now, it, you got crushed anyway. And it looked far more like they got into the, the, the locker room during first intermission, maybe got lamp-basted a little bit, got told they had to be more serious, came out, nobody was having any fun, and just sort of waited for to see if Connor Bedard could get the thing done for you, and he couldn't. What really happened in that game was Czechia played incredibly well, and once they had the lead, their guys sacrificed a ton to collapse in front of the net and block shots. Uh, their goaltender, Suhanek, was fantastic, and your goaltender was not. We talked during our Christmas Eve show where we previewed the tournament, all the experts, all the people who cover junior hockey, not just the people like me and like a lot of the major networks who watch NHL hockey all year, then show up to this tournament and talk like experts on junior hockey. The people who actually follow junior hockey and study prospects and study the draft said Canada is going to have a problem in goal. And as far as game one went, it sure looked like we had a problem in goal. Um... After, again, after the second Michigan, where apparently cute straps tightened and, you know, nose to the grindstone and no fun for anybody, we'll just work hard and grind, uh, your goalie stopped 12 of 17 shots and theirs stopped 36 of 38. That's the game. That's your story. The Jacks played well enough to get 
the pucks into positions to score. When they did, we didn't get saves, and they did. That's not to say Canada played well. They didn't. But the Czechs did play well, and their goaltender played well. And so they walk away with not just some squeaker, some 3-2 in 3-on-3 overtime. They laid it to Canada pretty good. And once they built that lead, that first three-goal lead, they were content. to. They didn't just completely sit back, but when the puck was in their end, they collapsed hard. They did not let Canada get anywhere close to the net. They didn't let any of those sweet cross-feed passes get in there. They cut everything off. They kept everything outside. They blocked shots from the point and were full value for the win. It, it's just frustrating the talking points that then come out of it. And another one, you know, when you get away from the Michigans, were Jeff O'Neill on the national broadcast. And I, it, I shudder to think that they are grooming him to be Bob McKenzie's replacement at this tournament because that's going to be awful. And you can see, obviously, Bob is slowly easing off his contractual obligations and he signed that contract a couple of years ago that was just five more years to do a couple of Leaf games a year, the World Juniors and the draft stuff, and that was it. And they're clearly planning to shuffle him out and it looks like Jeff O'Neill to be his replacement. Thank goodness Cheryl Pounder has been in there. She's very insightful, very well-spoken, and is familiar with international officiating, uh, short burst tournaments, these sorts of things. She actually has something to offer on this. Jeff O'Neill, he brings up that after the first intermission, or during the first intermission, when Canada is just down 2-1, they need to get this idea that they're one of the best junior teams ever out of their head. They shouldn't be talking about 95. They shouldn't be talking about 05 which were, of course, these well-known super teams. 05 was that Grand Forks team during the NHL lockout that had Perry and Bergeron and Getzlaff and Crosby and on and on and on. Not one member of that team has said anything about being the 05 team or 95 team. Not one member of that team has compared themselves to a super team or one of the greatest junior teams ever. Do you know who did say it? Craig Button on the same network that Jeff O'Neill was on, that this team has the potential has the skill to maybe match those teams. Now, you lost 5-2 to the Czechs. You're probably not now. You could still easily go on and win the tournament, but you're not likely to go down as one of the best Canadian teams ever. The point is, the media said something. The media is now commenting on it and blaming the team for it. They can't have these inflated heads like they're one of those teams. They don't think they're one of those teams. You do. Luckily, James Duthie stepped in and corrected him and said there's nobody who's said on the team that that's the way they think that's a that's something that was said on TSN as the tournament was being promoted and the games were being previewed and stuff but that's the type of ridiculous commentary that passes for expertise right now you say this team could be this and then when they're not you tell that team stop thinking you're that well they don't They didn't say it, and now you're putting it on them because essentially the analysis was they're losing and I'm mad. Well, that's on you. It's the same people who criticized the the two attempts at the Michigan and then the next night when Brady Kachuk in the Senators games tried a between-the-legs move that also failed, like the Michigans did for Canada, got super horny about it. What a great play. The league needs more of this. Pick a side, man. Pick a lane. We're paying attention. We're watching you. We know when you're inconsistent. We know when you don't have an actual stance and you're just reacting to what you're watching. 
it was gross to watch Jeff O'Neill say that. TSN creates a narrative for the team. When the team doesn't live up to it, TSN blames the roster. That's why they lost. Their heads were too big. They think they're one of the best teams ever. Just stop. Honestly, it's just terrible analysis. I Like I said, I this will quickly become one of those things where I won't be able to watch the intermissions after Bob is gone. We'll see. Maybe they come to their senses. Give the gig to Cheryl Pounder instead of Jeff O'Neill. Would make it a far more enjoyable broadcast. But if he's going to become the voice of this thing, the next Bob McKenzie on this thing, I won't be able to keep watching the uh, the intermissions. Much like I do with the uh, the Leaf games on Sportsnet. Or Anthony Stewart just had another blunder on uh, on Tuesday night. Said the Leafs at the deadline should go out and get themselves a Rupe Hints. Uh, that'd be great. But Dallas is playing well, not likely to unload him. And he just signed an eight-year contract four and a half weeks ago. Pay attention, please. This is the same guy who, like two weeks ago, said that the Ottawa Senators control their own destiny and are in the driver's seat. At the time, the Ottawa Senators were seventh in the division. They absolutely were not in the driver's seat. They absolutely did not control their own destiny. They needed like three teams in front of them to have a terrible second half and lose and then take care of their own business. That's not controlling your own destiny. Anthony Stewart also said Nick Robertson, well known for his speed, Everyone who follows prospects and, and you know, rookies and, and, you know, analyzes these things has said for years that the thing that is going to hold back Nick Robertson is his skating. It's not even like it's average. It's below average. And Anthony Stewart says that's it's one of his strengths. He's not good. I digress. This is not a show about Anthony Stewart and the Leafs uh, intermissions as much as it was about... Just be careful who you're listening to. Be careful what you're being told. When, when you watch these young teams at these tournaments, they lost. There were legitimate reasons for the loss. You don't have to go searching for one. It wasn't trying fancy trick shots. It wasn't that they decided they were one of the best junior teams ever and got their heads all bloated. They had a bad game at the same time the Czechs had a good one. Your goaltending sucked. The Czechs was very good. The last World Juniors was only like four months ago, if you recall, and that was in August. And that Czech, same Czech goaltender, Suhanek, knocked out the Americans in the quarterfinal. He's kind of good. If you don't have your shit together, he can beat you. And in four months, he's beaten the Americans and he's beaten the Canadians. So good for that guy. Sometimes you just lose and there's no crazy over-the-top reasons behind it. You just get beat. And that's what happened on Monday. As I sit here right now, it's a couple hours from Canada versus Germany. If Canada, by the time you're listening to this, has lost to Germany, yeah, we can have a talk about serious problems and and this being in a real bad place. But since I think we all assume Canada is going to go beat Germany, probably pretty handily, we can probably settle down. Just, just settle down. Uh, Last thing to touch on here today is a little bit sadder, but I did want to make sure it got mentioned on the show because I thought it was important. On on Christmas Eve, learned that UFC legend Stefan Bonner had passed away 
And this is a name that was as big as almost any in building the UFC into what it was. And for those who weren't familiar, um, Stefan Bonner was a member of the Ultimate Fighter Season 1, which was the UFC's reality show. And I think this starts 05, if I'm not mistaken. It's in that neighborhood. And at that point, the UFC has been around for about 10 years, but it's still in these very small arenas or community centers. It's still very savage. It still doesn't have the rules that it has now. And it starts to grow and it starts to grow and they clean it up. Um, But the explosion into what we think of when we see the UFC now as this international powerhouse with, you know, on major TV networks and marketing and, you know, merchandise and all this kind of stuff. That happens sort of on the back of this TV series, The Ultimate Fighter. And this is around the time that Survivor and all these sorts of shows are exploding. You know, reality television is the big thing. So the UFC strikes a deal with Spike TV, which at the time was kind of pushing this, you know, TV for guys was sort of their their thing for a while. And they were going to try this UFC reality show. You put the fighters in a house and uh, they're going to live together and they're going to train together and, you know, we'll have some fights. And at the end of it, there will be two guys left and they will fight and somebody's going to win a UFC contract. And I forget the exact numbers. It's a, it was a legitimate UFC contract to fight uh, in the UFC, certain number of fights, certain number of dollars. And so the finale is of course going to be on Spike TV. And that's important because this stuff used to, you know, the UFC, even before it exploded, was always on pay-per-view. So if you don't know anything about it, if you don't know what it is, if you're not a fight fan, you're certainly not going to go drop 30 or 40 or 50 bucks or whatever it was at the time to watch it. Like a lot of sports, like Shrides has talked about so many times on here with women's sports, you have to stumble over it. You got to be flipping around on the channels. And go, what, what's that? What, hey, what is this? And you stop and watch for a minute. Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin are the two guys who are the final two uh, at the end of the Ultimate Fighter Season 1. And they have this showdown in an arena. They put on a card, and it's on Spike TV. And these two guys have one of the greatest fights in the history of the sport at the time. And it still holds up today. And this happens on national television. This happens where everyone is watching. And the reality show itself all year long has slowly been building an audience. People are able to watch that for free and they're getting to know these guys' personalities. And, um, you know, they're not just guys standing in a cage. You're seeing the, the television part of it, the reality TV part of it, the big brother part of it, right? Where you're in the house with them and see how they're interacting and, and learn who these guys are. And so the, the finale where this fight happens turns out to be absolutely huge business. And now you take off into this new era with all these names that everybody knows if you followed fighting, even from a from a pretty casual standpoint. You know, we get into the George St. Pierre era. We get into the Brock Lesnar era, right? Like Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, Randy Couture. These are guys who've been around for a bit in the UFC, but now they become international stars. And the sport is off and running. It's selling out 20,000-seat arenas all over North America. The states and provinces that have been holding out stop, and they finally legalize this thing. And it's all on the back of the Ultimate Fighter. 
and that crazy finale between Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin. And uh, he passed away just before Christmas. There was some talk. I don't want to speculate too much, but he'd been going through some things. He, you know, there'd been some scary talk about uh, trying to get his hands on some opiates for some pain that he'd been suffering. I don't want to speculate too much, but I did want to mention his name. I did want to tell his story and I did want to uh, to mention, yeah, that uh, these are these are the types of stories that get lost in the holiday season. And if you're a fight fan, you know the name Stefan Bonner and everything that he brought to the table and how instrumental he was from that sport going from kind of the, these dingy, smoky, smaller arenas to this gigantic international, you know, this this global powerhouse that the UFC is now. The takeoff point is his fight with Forrest Griffin at the end of the Ultimate Fighter season one. So rest in peace to Stefan Bonner. Um, it was important, I think, to to recognize his contribution, and I didn't want it to get lost in the uh, you know the the things that happen throughout the holidays that we don't circle back to when uh, when we get back into the studio and and doing these more regularly. That's where we're going to wrap this one up. There's lots of great stuff up on the podcast right now. On Boxing Day, we had a conversation with Paul Romanuk about the World Juniors and about the Spangler Cup. This is a guy who called a pile of both. He is the voice of holiday hockey for a lot of people. Um, back last week, we had Shrides on the podcast, Marie-Philippe Brulin Award. Uh, just talking about some of the best Canadian performances in sport this year. A week before that, of course, our buddy Steve Bunda was in. There was lots more fight talk there. Some of the biggest stories in UFC over the course of 2022 heading into 2023. Uh, we got into that with him. And on New Year's Eve, Maddie Lang's going to be here. And we will do our annual New Year's Eve show. And uh, there will be some sports on it, but there will be a lot of non-sports topics on things I missed this year. That Maddie, who stays in touch a little bit more with the cool kids, he'll have a handle on, hopefully. And he can explain to me everything that I missed in 2022 while I was being curmudgeonly and listening to the same five albums I've been listening to for 20 years. That'll be on uh, on New Year's Eve. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Just wanted to check in and, and get uh, a couple of those things checked off the list before we move into 2023 where things will no doubt be busy again. Uh, you know, by the time next week hits, you know, we'll be talking about the playoffs and the World Juniors. We'll be talking about the NFL playoffs. Uh, hockey of course will be up and running at full speed so all of that uh, would have pushed some of these topics you know perhaps right off the show so I wanted to make sure we covered them a little bit like I said Maddie Lang here New Year's Eve I hope you'll join us then we're on social media at Tall Can Audio subscribe on your favorite podcast app wherever you're hearing us right now hit subscribe hit follow whatever it looks like go ahead and hit that my name is Matt Robinson thank you so much for listening enjoy the rest of your holiday season we'll see you New Year's Eve that's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal's. Call the weekend guy. I don't care.